millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily, the best bits of this afternoon's show. So, Andy, what's going in the podcast today, in your eyes? In my eyes, well, Martin Kellner and his uh, week of sport on TV. Mm. No sport, but he's still good. Mike Ward giving some good tips and some funny stuff for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Steve Bruce, oh, it's getting exciting, that, isn't it? Oh, Our road tip, road trip rather not road tip i don't know what that is to uh moscow mm-hmm. and uh and we had a chat and then we also we talked about football shirts in our nostalgia section we did yeah the old sporting memory section we spoke to the man that wrote the book on football shirts so here it all is hope you enjoy it and you're gonna have a couple of extra clips uh after all this so stick around <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Uh, good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, Jules, uh, Jules Oliver, who's married to uh, Jamie Oliver. I don't know if you yeah. saw this this morning in the Sun. She wants to have a sixth baby, wow. which is incredible, really. I mean, it's fair enough. It's up to them. They can afford it, no question. But they've got five already. That would be why they've had a sixth. But, they, of course, they've all got these sort of brilliantly daft showbiz names. They oh, are yeah. called Poppy Honey, Daisy Boo, Petal Blossom, Buddy Bear and River Rocket. And it just struck me. that It just reminded me of something that you always hear at Cheltenham. And it's Buddy Bear from River Rocket and Petal Blossom and Daisy Boo and Poppy Honey. Buddy Bear, not the light, it's River Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> they do sound like horses, don't they? They, they do. They certainly do, Andy, yes. <laughs> The Duke of Kent, uh, the president of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, mm. uh, held a meeting uh, yesterday with Mr. David Howey, chief executive, not the ex-Spurs player, I presume. Uh, of course, they talked about last year's Wimbledon. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, of course they did. They would have had at least 10 minutes on that. Of course. <laughs> of course they would. And I see you this morning when I read Paul Jiggins' piece on Jan Vertonghen. Mm. Jan saying that he's a sort of, you know, a coveted Corona player because he's out of a contract and, you know, he'll be cheap uh, for, for a club. And he is a good player. He's still got a lot to offer. But it raises the point that you made about what happens the rest of the season for these yeah. players who are in that position. Well, if you are, I mean, I'm not. Jan's a fairly wholehearted player, but, you know, you would think at the back of his mind, if he's having to go in for a little 50-50 for Spurs and the deal with Inter Milan is all tied up, for example, whether he's thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, I think we saw the end of that. We saw <laughs> well, that a bit it, with it? Christian Eriksen towards the end, didn't we? Oh, <laughs> not sure about that little 50-50 or even that little 70-30. <laughs> uh, going my way, I'm ooh, not sure about that. So there is a danger. There could be a few players in that situation if they start playing and uh, they know they're going to be moving on elsewhere once their contracts are up. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it. These players that, you know, as a free transfer, a player like him would always have a worth. But mm. uh, now with money being a whole lot tighter, there's going to be probably more clubs after him than there were before. Very true. And uh, I uh, last night I watched it. We'll talk about this with Mike. I watched a bit of the uh, big night in. I mean, it was very 
worthy. They raised a lot of money. Not quite as much as Captain Tom, you may have noticed there. Oh, okay. But, uh, well, he's fantastic, isn't he? He and, is. Um, and so, uh, which is surprising. All that effort that they put in, all those stars, all those egos, all that filming, all that Davina McCorner, yellow dress, and everything, didn't raise as much money as a hundred-year-old bloke walking around his garden, which is yeah. odd, really. I don't, I don't, I don't think that was the yardstick they were using. <laughs> I tell you, the real losers in this, though, are... Um, the, um, the the people who are the guest bookers on reality TV shows, because uh, Tom has been so uh, ubiquitous, isn't he? He's done such a fantastic job. Normally, they'd be falling over themselves strictly. I'd be thinking, hundred pushing it, isn't it? Even who we put him on with, they could, you know, it's not a great idea. And He's Tom. not going to go in the jungle, is he? He's yeah. not going to do that. I can't see him on ice skates. So no. someone, someone who is Mr. Zeitgeist the way that he is, the incredible man that he is, he'd be all over reality. He could do Gogglebox. He'd be good on that. He'd, I think him and, he his, uh, good, yeah. him and his uh, family on Gogglebox would be a sensation. We could certainly do that. But it's, <laughs> they're gutted. They're gutted all the guest bookers. They've never had Love yeah. Island. He's unlikely to do that. Oh, I think he'd be great on it. He'd shake it up. He would, but, he uh, would be good. Yeah, you have to give but it a little I, bit longer I, for the walk when they when they come in at the start of the show. Yeah, that's very true. Mm. I uh, I watched about an hour of it, and look, it was worthy, and people gave up their time, and you know, I yeah. wouldn't be critical, and you know. But to be honest, mm. I, I listened to the first hour of the sports bar last night, and I laughed ten times more. I mean, it was one of the funniest, most original, brilliant bits of radio I've heard for a very, very long time, and uh, I'm definitely going to be listening next week. It's something that they do every Thursday, and it, it, they just turn the show into a pub. I was, yeah. I can describe it. You've got the pub atmosphere. You've got Andy asking the callers if they want a drink. And there's some bloke shouting, cab for Dave. <laughs> but it's got that whole feel about it. It's really, really funny. And I was Brilliant. laughing out loud. It makes us, it, well done, fellas. Yeah, excellent. They'll be back together on Monday. It's Northern Court tonight, of course, isn't it, with uh, Adam and uh, with uh, Mickey Gray. Um, but uh, we should point out that a, a, a former overseer of the, this fine station did actually throw that idea into the mix once. That's very he did true. say it's the sports bar, so why don't we basically have a pub atmos over the we full three him. hours? It was it was poo poo because it felt it might be a touch. We're over three hours on on a straight up and down night when there's been European games, and you've got yeah. to do that. Um, but it's it, true. It, it clearly works every week brilliantly for an hour by the fellas. Excellent. Yeah, it, it works in this thing. And can I thank my friend uh, Ray Rinkoff from Rinkoff's Bakery? So yeah. kind, and he sent over a care package of. Uh, Holler bread, Danish pastries. The John Holler bread? The old, John Holler bread, the old, the old Spurs, Spurs keeper. goalkeeper. Fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. From the <laughs> six, That's brilliant. Pretty he'll like that. He's a Bill Spurs Brown. <laughs> and he'll remember him as well. And yeah. uh, and the cronuts, which are cross between oh, yeah, they're a good, the cronuts and yeah. a donut. They're sensational. So, Ray, thank you. I, know I shouldn't really do this on air, but thank you so much. Very kind of you. you that's just what you need, donuts, and Andy. You've been pointing oh, yeah, out that you can't get your trousers on at the moment. <laughs> and the shops are open, so if you're around near the bakery, go and support them because everybody that's working needs support at the moment. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Don't interpret this as stand-up for whatever you do, but I was thinking, actually, hmm. what's going to happen to cologne and perfume sales after all this is over? Because I was putting on some aftershave, and I was thinking, and I did think this at Cheltenham at the time, I was thinking, nobody's actually going to want to smell me, because if you can smell me, I'm nearer than six yeah. metres. You're, so but you're wasting money, and you don't buy cheap stuff. So basically, you're <laughs> no. sp- you're you're basically you've sprayed about forty pence 
on you for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs> Although, Sue, you're smelling a bit more fragrant for your wife, I suppose, but she no one else. Care. She doesn't care, does she? You could have she flies buzzing around really. your head and she, she doesn't care. <laughs> She'd so, still love me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think, and we always, I mean, some of our, tra- our trails department are brilliant. I'm loving the ones at the moment when they, they through. what, me, Kevin in... Basled and, and the bloke goes, what, me, Kevin, and all those. Yeah. They're, they're brilliant. But we do have this thing that they basically are trail, head of trails, Peter G. is uh, He's of a similar age to me, I suppose, but he does love an old you reference, love you for, that. for example. <laughs> well, I think he's older than me, to be really no, I honest. I don't think he is. Uh, oh, he is. He's at least 70. Come on. He must You're be. having a lot. What are you talking he, about? Anyway, uh, this is a Peter. rather... Yeah, <laughs> 70. God. Oh, you're gonna if get, anybody knows, let you're gonna us get know. The old hid. You're going to get the hid when you next see him, mate. Yeah, yeah. He, did, he did attack somebody at a Christmas party once, but that's another story altogether. Blimey, so poor anyway. fellow. <laughs> First, he's, t- he's assaulted someone. He I've got no it. evidence of that. And B, he's 70 years old, when he clearly isn't. <laughs> poor fellow. B, I am sorry it. about this. Pete's not going to deny that one, I'm telling you. Anyway, so we, he has, there's a couple of trails for us, which is one based on the persuaders with the Afternoon persuaders. That, I think that last went out in 1971, yeah. and uh, and there's another one for I can't remember the other one. What's that? Oh, Randall and Randall and Hopkirk deceased. That's also yeah. like a show from way way back. So I was listening to, to Talk Sport this morning, and uh, it was a trail for Adrian and Goffey on Drive, and it was Ted Malt and his double glazing. I was thinking, <laughs> no one knows what that is. I love it. It's great. It means that kids can go and ask their granddad and their great granddad what, what the trails are about. It becomes a point of conversation. It's a brilliant route. Anyway, uh, let's bring you yeah, all right. the latest part of Striker by Steve Bruce. This is a murder mystery, uh, one of three he wrote in the late 90s, all wonderful books. Um, apparently, you were telling me that these change hands for a £1,000 on Amazon, Andy, uh, copies of uh, Steve's books. <laughs> Absolutely, it was one on eBay yesterday. I don't know why there was one left, and it's a thousand. Who'd pay a thousand pound for this when you can hear it serialised on this show? Yeah, indeed. Okay, so this is what's happened so far. It's a marvellous murder mystery, uh, and it's read by Ian Danza in the style of Steve Bruce. Am I under arrest? Not yet, Sergeant Woodison said. You don't like Eddie Carberry, do you? I don't like him. I don't dislike him. Take Mr. Shannon and Mr. Widdison to Eddie's office, I said. Eddie's gone. Where? To the training ground. He said he was going to be busy now, now that he's in charge at Leddesford. In charge? I shouted. We'll bloody see about that. I had done nothing to be ashamed of. Certainly, I had not put a knife in young Pat Duffy's back. I'll make it look as good as I can, Steve, Harry said. Who do you think did it? Eddie? I shook my head. Well, yeah, Eddie Carberry. That's how, that's where I'm. I'm heading in that direction. But you know, I may be, I may be well off. There may be someone we've not even who's, met yet, which is why we should hang on uh, well, Steve's every word. Uh, who's Sir Lawrence based on? That's what I want to know. So, what the chairman, the Sir chairman. Lawrence? I don't know. Mm. We'll have to, we'll, 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 we're okay, we'll, we'll we'll find out as time goes on. Anyway, it's the latest instalment of Striker. Murder, Harry. I shook my head once more. Eddie, I can't believe it. Then who was the murderer? Harry asked. Duffy didn't commit Harry Kiri. That's for sure, I said. I say that quite a lot, don't I? Where is he now? Harry asked. Driving back from the training ground, I said. I spoke to him five minutes ago, on the phone. No, not Eddie Carberry, Harry explained. I mean, where's Pat Duffy? I shook my head in disbelief. 
for several hours while being questioned, I had hardly thought of Pat Duffy. I assumed his body was still on the floor of the locker room. I suppose the police are with his body, I said. There'll be a scene of crime officer. They'll be taking dabs, Harry said, meaning fingerprints. And DNA, I shouldn't wonder, I said. That should lead straight to the killer. It will eliminate you, Steve, Harry said seriously, but it might not flush out the murderer. Why not? I asked. Because the murderer might not be part of the Lettersford setup. It could be someone from outside. Well, if so, how did they get in? I asked. There's a strong lock on reception. Don't I know it? Harry said ruefully. Well, Harry, I said with determination, there's one thing I know for sure. I didn't do it. I checked my wristwatch. Look, Harry, I have to talk to Sir Lawrence. You understand, don't you? Harry stood up. He nodded his understanding. Thanks for the exclusive, Steve. At that very moment, Sir Lawrence Brooke entered my office. My patience is not inexhaustible, Steve, he said. Like I told you, the chairman's an educated guy who knows how to use words. Harry's just leaving, I replied. The chairman was not shouting as he had been earlier in the morning, yet I could tell from his face and his voice that he was still a very angry man. He was angry at the whole turn of events, no doubt, and someone needed to do a lot of explaining. That someone was me. can't understand him being peeved when there's been a murder at his football club. You know, he's not going to say, well, don't worry about it, Steve. Is he? These things happen. Uh, how's it going for Saturday? Have you got any injuries? I mean, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be a bit put out, aren't you? Anyway, uh, I love the bit at the start there. No, no, hang on. I love the bit at the start when he said, Duffy didn't commit Harry, Harry Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Kitty, isn't the bloke who used to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game for the Cubs? He did. Cubs That's one for baseball it, fans. Yeah. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. It's time now to uh, raid the archives once again and take you back to one of the tournaments we've been fortunate enough to uh, work on for Talk Sport. And it's uh, Moscow, day two in Moscow for the 2018 World Cup. I've not heard this since then, so Lord knows what's uh, going to happen. We were in a pub uh, in the centre of Moscow, which was the kind of Liverpool stronghold pub, wasn't it? Full of uh, Liverpool memorabilia where the supporters club mm. in Moscow would meet. The John Dunn. That's right, the John Dunn. Yeah, blimey, very good. Good memory, Andy, for a man who does Don't Ask Me every Monday. Anyway, here it is, day two from Moscow. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, for us, good morning to you at home. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Paul. Good afternoon, whatever it is. A beautiful <laughs> afternoon stroke morning here in Moscow. Beautiful it certainly day. is. The sun is shining. The shorts are on. Well, myself and the producer have gone for it. Uh, yes. Chris, uh, our technical operator, is, he's, he's, he's sporting a jean, yeah. as is Mr. Jacobs. And well, you often say your legs are your best feature. They are, I'm surprised you're, you're not keen to get them out and chump uh, well, a Moscow. I like, I like it to be at a certain temperature before I break open the shorts. Have I you keep them in a special case. Have you got any varicose veins yet? No, not, not, not at all. No. Really? Okay. I think I'm holding up well. We walked 21,000. Well, I'm waiting to see them because I was hoping there might be a, a map of the metro <laughs> on the back of your legs. 
<laughs> we won't get lost then. <laughs> 21,000 steps we walked yesterday. Which yeah, was, that's uh, right. More than Alan's. And he is a slave uh, to his <laughs> watch or his app. So you can imagine, he stands going, oh, we've walked 10,000. No, we haven't. <laughs> I don't say it in that voice. Uh, okay. It's more than Alan's walked in his entire career of TalkSport. <laughs> the breaking news, though, is that our producer, John, his suitcase is still only half open. He yeah. Only... No, oh, he's fixed it. He, I oh, what a shame. he did ask senior broadcast engineer Chris to fix it for him, which is yeah. a bit of a which waste. Which is not part talents. of his remit. And if the union got hold of that, there'd be hell to pay. But, yeah, our producer... I mean, it's actually quite an interesting way of packing. His, his, his suitcase had only the... Basically could get his hand into it. The zips were caught. So, really, all he could wear was stuff... So, it was like a lucky dip. It was like Graham Kelly going for his luggage. Number 15, white T-shirt, will be paired with number 21, blue shorts. Been great if a white shorts had come out. You'd look like a sort of summer fantasy island man, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, now, it's been very amusing. Just before we get to the point, oh, yeah. I've got to say this. At one point yesterday, I mean, the subways here are very, very crowded. And we, it was an, yet another very crowded, deep, deepest depth uh, escalators, which yeah. are massive they here are. and amazing. He said, I never want to use the metro again, which as it's only day two, could be quite a yeah. problem. <laughs> and it's really the best way to get around, so yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> to make matters worse, a Patrick Stewart lookalike let the door slam in his face yeah. at the station. And they are heavy <laughs> doors, aren't very they? Heavy they doors. Take, oh yeah, bad. Our uh, head of football, David Walker, was telling us earlier on that in the hotel uh, yeah. reception, or indeed a hotel restaurant uh, this, this morning, they were playing Driving Home for Christmas well, by Chris Riff. It's perfectly appropriate to me. <laughs> It's quite an odd little show. They have a long run into Christmas because it's a deep winter here. <laughs> I wanted. To, we were walking down. We decided to walk from the hotel to the pub here in uh, Moscow. John yeah. Dunn, and I wanted to take a photo of this military building with two large cannons because yeah. I thought it was a museum dedicated to the great Tommy Cannon of Cannon. It and was. Ball. Yeah. Well, we, we weren't sure whether it was. They don't. Know, but the thing is, there's no mention at all of Bobby Ball. It's just about Tommy Cannon. We did point out to Andy, uh, myself, and the producer that taking pictures of military buildings. Tends not to go down particularly <laughs> well in great, some countries. Not a great idea. And we counted Russia among them. But now, uh, mm. we did watch some of the Russian coverage last night, didn't oh, yeah. we, of the match. And they have a big... So their equivalent of uh, match of the day or... or the, the no, the it was like cup. fantasy football. It was. was. Immediately after the game. It was not presented by David and Frank, but this sort of massive, quite large woman, I'd say. Well, OK. And, and Russian Jack Whitehall. What Russian Jack Whitehall. And they presented... They have audience members there and they're all applauding the goals again yeah. and they're doing some Vox Pop. So that's the way they approach it uh, over here. Yeah, isn't there's it? a few clips, a few funny moments, wasn't it? I think yeah, well, it, it was quite good. It seemed, seemed all right to me. One of the other things we noticed as well is that we had this guy, we were talking about Robbie Williams. He played all the hits, didn't oh, he? Yeah, yeah. He went Angels and uh, he gave us a bit of let me entertain you. Yeah, we did have, to, we had this idea that he meets with uh, President Putin's uh, <laughs> advisor and some yeah. Robbie says, so I'll, obviously I'll do entertain you. Yeah, I'll do Angels. I'll start with that one, yeah. Rock DJ and, and the guy says, no, no, no. He says, the president does not like your early stuff. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you mean? He says, basically nothing from Life through a lens, or I've been expecting you. He said, Well, that's, that's where all the hits are. He says, No, no, no. Uh, ever if the it's president. how much he sounds like former professional yeah. wrestler Les Kelly. <laughs> president, very big fan of Take the Clown album. Uh, he wants to hear only songs from this. And he said, Well, look, I'll do what the president wants. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to cause any uh, problems here. So, and then the guy saying, One he must hear is, Hey, 
ho, here she goes. Either little too high or little. You get the idea of that. Uh, think she's made of candy. Just just do that one. But make it last for an hour. But that didn't happen, of course. No, Robbie was able to play. At all. Robbie was able to, uh, to play the hits. At the top of the show, you posed the question, which I found quite strange in the intro of, who is Sausage Mick? Sausage Mick. <laughs> We, um, well, it's, it's a little business venture myself and the producer uh, and our head of football have got. We all went to a restaurant uh, last mm. night uh, to watch a, a bit more football. Actually, it was after the game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah we were reflecting uh, on the match. <laughs> or drinking, as yeah, other we people would call it. Or drinking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> reflected out of our mouth. We didn't. We were very sensible. Yes. So we were reflecting. I outlasted you at the bar. That's never happened. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you get another to... drink, though. You just took longer to drink <laughs> yeah, it. That's true. Yeah. It doesn't turn you into Alan Brazil or Mike <laughs> no. Parry overnight. I think no. you're fine. Exactly. So anyway. Yeah. Um, and there was a thing on offer, which was sausage mix, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the, the mashed potato, the red cabbage, and the three, the holy trinity of sausages. <laughs> uh, the, the beef, the pork, and indeed the chicken sausage, which yes. is an odd-looking thing. It, it just was looks like an uncooked strange. sausage. But we went for it, and we enjoyed it, and we thought sausage mix might be a nice little restaurant. Don't you think we could open one in London? There's one in Dublin, I think, already. And I think our producer could be Sausage Mick. He could be be the face of it, much like Paddy Power. And uh, he could be the face of the old business. Welcome to Sausage Mix. He could be manager slash host. And that's all we'd sell, sausages. That's quite a good idea. Yeah. It does remind me, the, uh, the place where England is staying in Rapino is owned by the Nottingham-based Irishman, Forrest Mick. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, well, that's so, well, okay. He's already, got, he's already got his own place. So uh, that's good news, isn't it? Oh, uh, more than good news, I'd say. Uh, and listening this morning, this morning to breakfast, yeah. uh, very entertaining, Alan interviewing Ivan Kalashnikov. That is his real name, which is incredible, really, yeah. about Russia. Alan's still convinced that, you know, that it's like a third well, backwater. Do you have roads in Russia? <laughs> Do you have oxygen in Russia? Do you have restaurants? Do you breathe? <laughs> so there we are. That was that was day two. Uh, Sorry, uh, Corbin. Very funny. Honestly, I shouldn't say that, should I, really? Yeah. But, uh, I, I often do yeah. wonder whether that conversation ever did happen between Robbie Williams and Vladimir Putin's uh, number two. <laughs> <No. laughs> what would you do, though? What would you do? You're asked We're your out there to report on a... Yeah, you're planning yeah, the opening ceremony. The World Cup. Yeah, planning the opening ceremony. He said, no, don't plan anything from uh, those albums. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to say no, are you? Never happens. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. As it would have been a football shirt Friday today with the Bobby Moore Fund, uh, which has sadly been postponed, we are going to wallow in a bit of nostalgia now and talk football shirts for the next half hour. You've been sending him some great uh, stories and we'll bring the best of those over the next half hour. But we thought we should kick off, really. Motti will join us later, but we should kick off with the man that wrote the book on the subject, the football shirts book, The Connoisseur's Guide. Neil Hurd joins us. Good afternoon, Neil. Good afternoon, guys. You okay? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we should yeah. kick off with a fundamental question. What is it about the football shirt? Well, I mean, we're getting loads and loads of stories. It plays such an important part in people's lives. I mean, it's just a bit of fabric, isn't it, if you want to be a Philistine? You know what? It's a question that keeps getting asked. And for me, it's interesting how it's kind of gone from maybe something which was seen as semi-nerdy, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I was in a book called Men Who and Their Collections with a bunch of my shirts I collected at the time, and, and, the, and the page over had a guy who collected sick bags. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of just seen as something weird and nerdy. And, and I think shirts have kind of like, they always had been. They'd always seeped into our subconscious, and even into our conscious, you know, across the globe of how we love these shirts. But it's just interesting how it's sort of exploded. It's got bigger and bigger, and, you know, everybody's kind of tapping into it now. It's interesting, though. I'm looking at a book, that, a different book to yours, but also an interesting book by John Devlin. You're probably aware of it. And it traces yeah. international kits from 74 right through to, I think, when he did the book, which must have been about, let me have a look, 2018. And it, and it is interesting how the, the design of the kit has evolved to the point, actually, where you look back at the old kits, and they, it's easy to do this, isn't it? but they're simpler and almost better in a way. that they, they got a bit busy, didn't they? And uh, certainly... And then it got a bit wide as well in the 90s. But they certainly changed over the years, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive curve. I mean, really kind of like from 1890 or the early days of sort of like the football, you know, the league, basically, right the way up to maybe like the 1970s, they semi-stayed the same, you know. They sort of started to have badges put on them. And that was kind of, you know, a lot of few tweaks like that. And then Logo sort of came on in the late 60s, early 70s. And then you saw that explosion which opened up the whole new thing that we see today, you know. But personally, I think it's, it's definitely just down to taste. Personally, I love the... When I see, like, an old simple, say, like, England 66 or the Chelsea team's kits from that year or whatever, I love the simplicity of them, the cotton and just the badge. But at the same time, I really appreciate not every one of the 90s. Like, I didn't like it when they weren't particularly wide, like you mentioned, but some of those sort of shirts, like the Bruce Banana, the Arsenal shirt, that kind of thing, the Holland 88, the Germany 90 or 88... You know, when when it went bolder, I also appreciate that. But, yeah, in amongst it, there were certainly some horrors, I guess. But that's the thing. That kind of shirt at the moment are the shirts that everybody loves. You know, maybe there was a book maybe 10 years ago called The Worst Kits of All Time, which features all those 90s shirts, whereas now mm. you probably put them in, everybody would have their own opinion, but you put them in the book probably as, like, the best kits of all time. So it's, it's subjective, isn't it? 
Mm. The, it's something you touch oh, yeah. on in your book, actually, and you just talked about the 66 shirt. Sometimes does a shirt become iconic because of what's achieved in it? I mean, we think of Mexico 70 for Brazil. That's a great iconic shirt that people buy still from Tofts and elsewhere. England 66. There's not much to them as shirts, really, but it's what they, it's, it was what was done in them that, that makes them so iconic. Yeah, I mean, I think especially sort of World Cup shirts are kind of like the, the you know, the world currency as in terms of like a universal language. I think if you go across the globe, it's the World Cup shirts which really touch everybody. Whereas that you could go into a bar in Buenos Aires, you could go into a bar in Stepney, you know, etc. right across the globe. And you mention World Cup shirts and everybody gets it. Whereas sometimes, you know, maybe lately now with the beaming of every game all around the world, this has changed. But up to like recently... It would have been the shirts that all of us sat down and saw, you know, every four years. And, and they left a particular mark, I think, which is interesting, you know, that you know, they, everybody sort of connected with them, even if it was European Championships later on. But, you know, things like that Denmark shirt with the Danish standing outside, you know, everybody sort of loved that shirt and can remember that shirt. And you can talk to anybody anywhere around the world and then mention that shirt as much as they mm. sort of mention the game, you know. So, yeah, it, it is um, amazing the reach of them, you know. It is, and the, you mentioned that you're right, because now we are more used to it, but the foreign shirts had a kind of exotic feel. Paul mentioned the River Plate shirt with the, the sash, there's the Bocker shirt with the big wide hoop round it. You know, it has something about them, don't they, these shirts, that, that are different to ours, that have that appeal. Yeah, I think that's a really good, interesting point. And for me, which was part of the romance, you know, even in my collection, I've maybe got like 400 shirts now, and I'm not kind of like somebody who does a tick list i have my own little thing that i like with the shirts um you know it, it's it's interesting i can't remember what you said actually well i've got off on a tangent and lost where i was the south american <laughs> kits well, being yeah. being different yeah. the, the, the yeah. romance of them was where i totally got it you know i had a massive like 90 percent of my collection would be foreign shirts you know and i like that fact that you didn't know who the sponsor was and you didn't know what it meant and i'm since when i've sort of found out especially from doing the book when i found out like that amazing sort of graphic logo on an Andalek shirt you guys would probably all think of straight away and hmm. and then and, and I realized then it was just a, a, a Belgian bank you know and lots <laughs> of things you know those big massive huge logos that the French teams had like Sun at the end in the 70s and 80s which we didn't have and as you touched upon you know the sort of river and Bocca shirts the whole thing about them just had that mystique didn't it but I speak to a lot of the sort of um foreigners for want of a better word you know across the world and i speak to lots of brazilians particularly and, and they love our shirts for being really different you know wow. so it works both ways yeah. that we our own shirts that we sort of took for granted they sort of really exotic and really kind of british so it, it worked right the way around the globe but yeah I, I do miss that a bit actually the sort of um romantic part of it I like it when uh, a football shirt is an iconic football shirt is sort of picked up by by a club because I think it might have some kind of mythical power to make them play like that. I watched an old yeah. big match last week, Newcastle in, in Brazil kit, basically. Palace wore oh, yeah. Brazil. <laughs> uh, they had the Brazil kit as an away kit. Yeah, a picture in your book, I think, of Stockport in the early 80s that wore an Argentina shirt. So, I mean, now and again, you think, well, look, if we wear that, we'll be as good as them. Yeah, I think that's yeah. definitely true. And as you said, I, I always remember Palace particularly coming out in that Brazilian, you know, get-up. And like you said, it's almost like they're thinking it's going to wish that power upon them but yeah. I think Real Madrid also had quite a lot of um, an impact on like all white shirts across the eras you know me even from the 50s on you know so there's definitely something in it and I think 
I think the thing I think it's so powerful about them, as you sort of started saying, is just imagining that sort of yellow jersey and the green collar, in whichever sort of version you want to see it, like the purists of the 70s and the round mm. collar, or sort of the more gory sort of era when they had the big sort of CBF logo going through the shirt on the Brazil thing. Mm. You know, especially now in this time when we're all locked, sort of locked in a bit, it can send a shiver down your spine just thinking of it, for me maybe, and maybe I'm a nerd, but you know, just... That whole thing of just seeing Brazil come onto a pitch, or if you see Brazil come on against Argentina and you see their stripes and their green and yellow, it just sort of, I don't know, it just goes straight to the core of what football's about for me. You know, the romance and everything we love about it. Finally, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm uh, oh, oh. sorry, I was going to say, Andy, just a bit of revisionism. Uh, we said we'd mention this, sorry, Andy, uh, uh, on the, the brown Coventry kit, the one, if you say kits, everybody, it's like basically if you play smoke on the water in a guitar shop, it should be a fine. Maybe there should be a fine for bringing this one up. But is it time to is it time to revisit that Admiral kit, the old brown cov kit? Are you, is it you as bad what? as everybody that says? Comes up time and time again, as you just mentioned. And for mm. me, always, even well, maybe not when it came out because I was probably a little bit too young to mm. really recognise the sort of relevance of it. But I I've never been against it. I actually like it, and I always <laughs> think you know it's funny how you know, I'm a Newport County fan, and as you guys probably know, you know we're. Maybe we don't go, oh, God, the horror of like a gold shirt on walls or us with amber or whatever. But then everybody goes crazy about brown, whereas, you know, if you wore a brown jumper, it'd be, look a lot better than a bright orange gold jumper. So <laughs> I know, you know, the arguments about it mixing in on the pitch if it's muddy and that. But aesthetically, I really liked it. And I, I mean, I, like all of us, I probably watched the Get Shirty show lately. And mm. I think it's good how basically when you bring somebody in from outside the game, like that art school lady in that case, and the same lady, it was an art school lady who designed the Germany 8890 iconic shirt, who who basically came at it with sort of no training and no relevance to football. So they bring a, a new take, and I like that. I think it kind of needs it again in shirts now. You mentioned Admiral there, and of course, one of the most famous England kits was the one from 80 to 83, that sort of one with the shoulder portion. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a very iconic kit, even if England weren't particularly brilliant at that time. We did get to the World Cup, of course. That was the one we wore in the 82 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting one. I mean, I'm not English, as you know, but I mean, if you talk to, at the time, again, especially you guys maybe even remember better than me, you know, it was kind of frowned upon a little bit. It was a bit of a hoo-ha, wasn't it, about bringing mm. the sort of Union mm. Jack colours onto it. But if you went to any England game now and sort of scanned around into the crowd, which hopefully we all can look forward to next year, you know, after this sort of um, being in the desert away from football, you know, it's going to look so great. But I bet you any money that that will probably be the, the number one replica kit being worn outside of the current kit. You know, that, that kit is so popular and left such a mark that it, it, mm. I think it's probably the most popular England jersey, probably. Yeah. Well, I, I see, Neil, that the book is still available on, on uh, Amazon and other places besides, so um, it's, uh, it's still going strong. Yeah, it just keeps growing, honestly. The whole thing keeps growing and the book just keeps growing with it, so long may it continue. Brilliant. OK, well, we do recommend it. It's great fun. Uh, good to talk to you. Appreciate you coming on today. Cheers, guys. Thanks for saving me from another domestic task in the garden. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Neil Hurd's book, The Football Shirts yeah. Book, uh, so it's available. You can find it on Amazon and elsewhere. It's a great, great uh, book. Uh, we mentioned the Cov Brown kit, and Simon in Preston says, I saw a guy in the Brown Coventry shirt on my honeymoon in a shopping centre in Hong Kong in 2001. I bet it goes for big money now. Um, we've had some very good, uh, good emails point, and texts coming in. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
this uh, tap dancing terrier said back in the 80s our local sports shop obviously got a job lot of QPR shirts and were knocking them out for a quid so for the next 12 months Huddersfield Schoolyards was a wash with a horizontally hooped capital team shirt <laughs> oh brilliant I mean interestingly enough I know we've got to move on but the, the guys from classic football shirts have really tapped into this market they were there of course in Russia we yeah. had our road trip we, we did a thing with them I'm sure we're here probably next week and they, they mounted an exhibition there and they have pop-up shops and it's so popular it's incredible just these old worn match well, not necessarily match worn but worn shirts and people just snapping yeah. them up and wearing them as I think a they've got, a shop, they got a shop in East London haven't they they're sort of permanently there yeah. the um uh, another one this comes from John McMahon who says I wanted the QPR away shirt the black and red hoops but I couldn't find one anywhere so my mum bought me the Flamengo shirt instead. This was in Bratnell in the 80s. No London uh, club shirts, but a Brazilian one, uh, no problem. Um, yeah, I've had some good stories coming in from me. Uh, where's it gone? Let's find this one. Oh, yeah, being bought the wrong kit. I was gonna say my my first shirt was an Everton style shirt in around nineteen seventy two. Had a picture of George Best on the front. I'm a Man City fan. Why are you pulling that face? <laughs> it's blue. What more do you want, Ralph was told. Uh, so that's yeah, Ralph oh in Stockport, the City fan. A lot of that goes on, doesn't it? The Hawksby and Jacobs. So Dennis anyway, sorry, what's he gonna say? Yeah, talk sport. No, just about um, the Kanifa shirts. Do you remember when oh, yeah. the Kanifa World Cup and then they some of the shirts there were like stuff you've never seen before. They were really interesting. Yeah, and, they are incredibly um, leery, incredible. aren't they? Oh, very Larry, but good. So, yeah, absolutely. There's room for all of it. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Let's find out whether a morning uh, mainline in Domestus has made any difference to the performance of uh, Martin <laughs> Kellner, squad number nine, of course, with the weakest ball on TV. You tried it yet? Don't try it. Don't try it. We don't, no. don't listen to what the president says. <laughs> no, that would be my advice. Definitely don't try it. Uh, I tried it. I, I went clean round the bend. Hey, oh. hey, thank you. I'm here all. I'm here all night. I'm here. Well, you are actually here all night. You are. Yeah, I am actually. Literal. Yes. So, yeah. What have you liked this week, Martin? Well, there's only one place to start, really, and that's uh, The Last Dance, which mm. is, uh, yeah, it's this week's uh, Tiger King. It's uh, Netflix's it big thing. Uh, no tigers in it, but um, but it has got bulls in it. And when oh. I say that, I'm talking about the Chicago Bulls, of course, um, who'd won, uh, they mm. won five championships in, uh, in the 90s. Uh, and it, it sort of f- focuses on them going into the 1997-98 uh, NBA season. So in the previous uh, seven years, they won five championships, but... Uh, I thought it was quite fun. I've only watched one episode of it, and as always with Netflix things, it goes on way too long. I think there are about seven episodes of this. I think it's but ten, actually. I think it's is it ten. ten? Is it, yeah, they're going to right. release two a week um, for the next five weeks on Netflix. Right. Well, I, I watched one. Brilliant. Excellent. Excellent program. Well worth watching. Even if you're not 
a basketball fan, which I'm not mm. particularly. Yeah. Uh, it's an object lesson in that point in, in any successful club's history where they have to dismantle a successful team, if mm. you like, because they've all, you know, they've all got too, too old, etc. Or, or for whatever reason, the team needs to be rebuilt. Uh, and uh, a lot of these Netflix and Amazon Prime documentaries where they promise you, they promise you they had unprecedented access, they could film where they wanted, etc., etc., they're always very carefully manicured, I think. You know, like the messy one. Um, there's nothing in there that, you know, that paints um, a little messy as anything less than, uh, you know, ready for sainthood. And then you've got, uh, do you know what I mean? The city yeah. one that was on Amazon Prime and the one about the all blacks, etc., etc. They're usually called all but or have nothing. You seen, have you seen the test, though, Martin? Now, I've been banging on about this. So I won't go over about it. But there, there you do see things that are, it's not manicured. I mean, during the Leach-Stokes partnership, there's a moment when, uh, the, the, you know, if you remember, Nathan Lyon got him out, Stokes, mm. but they'd wasted a re- review. And Justin Langer, the coach, knows what's yeah. going on. And he goes absolutely mad. He kicks the bin over. He can, and he's quite a mild-mannered sort of bloke. And he just completely and utterly loses it. And that was allowed to be seen. So I think yeah. sometimes, just sometimes, Some I think that's there, what... Yeah. Yeah, that's what determines whether they're they're good or not. The, the thing in that, you know, you realise the fame of Michael Jordan and how huge he was. And when he goes to Paris, sometimes reporters do ask mad This bloke says to him, Michael, what do you think of the Eiffel Tower? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what on earth can you answer to that? Yeah, well, that, that was the tour in Paris, wasn't it, where they went yeah. to Paris to try and spread the, uh, spread the word and all that. But, yeah, I was because I, I saw the bit where he was on Oprah, and Oprah introduced him as the most famous man on the planet, Michael Jordan. And I was wondering, is that overstatement? It, probably only just, you know, a bit of overstatement. He, I mean, he, he was up there. He was up there it'd be tr- between him and the Pope, I would have said. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> possibly, I don't know. Did but, you um, did you like um, the character in it? A bit like Newman in Seinfeld, Jerry oh, Krause, the guy, the Jerry general manager, yeah. on. Mm. the kind of villain. Getting... You say whenever somebody dismantles a team, Martin, there's always the guy that that, that takes the rap yeah, for it, it rightly yeah. or wrongly, and, and it's Jerry Krause, isn't it? In this case, the man who who breaks up the band. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do like the quotes of the uh, the owner of uh, the Bulls who said, uh, Jerry had the little man problem. Yeah, the little man problem. <laughs> uh, he grew he grew up the little fat kid. And uh, I thought we'd be pleased to hear that. He grew up the yeah. little fat kid uh, who uh, you know, affects the rest of his life. He also, now this is an interesting parallel I'm going to draw here, ladies and gentlemen, because, okay. um, yeah, because I watched the, uh, before we get back into Jerry Krause, I did watch the, the Damned United, which was on mm. TV again. I've seen yeah. it a couple of times. I think it's a great movie. Mm. Nothing like the book. The book is way darker. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like a romp, the uh, the actual uh, film of it, but I, I did think that Jerry Krause, when he was saying, uh, organize, this was his quote, wasn't it? Organisations win championships, not players. Mm. You know, that was his point, and, and, and certainly not the coach, you know, because he got rid of uh, Phil Jackson, didn't he, who was the, uh, the coach of the Bulls yeah. at the time. Uh, and it, it, almost the exactly the same quote came from Sam Longson. Yeah, that's true. He was arguing with Brian Clough. He yeah. said, you know, the, the manager is at the bottom. I won't give you the exact language, but he did say, you know, the manager is right <laughs> at the bottom of the flipping heap. Except yeah. he didn't say flipping. But <laughs> I, the main reason I watched uh, The Damned United again, uh, not particularly to draw that parallel, was, I mean, the guys in that position are always unpopular. 
Mm. You know, the, the chief exec, the chairman of the board, they're never going to be popular at clubs. Um, but Jerry Krause, uh, according to the owner of the club, had a way of alienating people. You could say, but I, I, and I thought maybe that was a, a fairly unfair picture of Jerry Krause. Where, and probably, you know, the, they could do what they want about Sam Longson, who was the, you know, the chairman at, uh, at Derby County, because, of course, he's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm not surprised watching the Damned Yankees again. The reason I watched it again is because with Norman Hunter dying, and I, I knew Norman Hunter vaguely because I'd worked on, on the radio with him mm. quite a lot at BBC in, in Leeds. You know, he, was, he was the sort of main pundit there. And what a gent, complete gent, as everybody said. Mm. But not in the movie. In the movie. Yeah. I just, just try to remember, he was the guy who clattered uh, Brian Clough on that first uh, training session. So the film says, yeah, he t- takes him out in the training session with kind of plunks him in the mud, doesn't he? Yes, right. he, do, he does, he does. And, and sort of um, Norman Hunter comes over as a glowering baddie in, in that yeah. movie. And uh, yeah, he, wasn't, he was no saint, Norman Hunter, on, on the pitch. Hmm. Um, and of course, Leeds fans now almost uh, revel in that uh, dirty Leeds. Some of them will put it on Twitter, they'll say, you know, well done, dirty Leeds, etc., etc. Yeah. So yeah, in a true. way... Yeah, it did sort of help the mythology of uh, Leeds in a way, but I'm not surprised uh, Johnny Giles sued. Not, not one little bit surprised. Yeah. Worth, worth watching again. Um, and I suppose it's worth, I don't know, have you watched both episodes? I've only watched the one episode so I have, far. Yeah, I've watched them, I've watched them both. It's interesting, with 10 to come, I, I was a bit surprised because, I mean, I'm sure it's some, some story that unfolds. And I'm enjoying it so much, I don't want to get bored with it. And I do take your point, we've talked about this before. Mm. It seems with the advent of Netflix and, the, the, and Amazon, they're quite happy to say, oh yeah, just take 10 hours to tell your story. But, as you, you know, sometimes... The art is maybe telling the story in, in less than yeah, half of that so. time, isn't it, really? Yeah, if you can. True, I mean, yeah. some, things, uh, some things are right to be told over that length of time. Uh, others uh, not, ju- really. Have you, have you had Motti in today at all? We've had a chat with Motti earlier yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we have. A yeah. chat with Motti. A little bit of commentary of Motti's that cropped up on Match of Their Day. You know, I'm quite enjoying that, where they mm. show uh, yeah, I like matches. That. And do... Yeah, uh, Ian Wright was on this week, Wrighty. They showed the 1990 Cup final, of course, uh, Palace versus, uh, versus United. And uh, Motti, it was Motti and Brooking commentating. And I may have mentioned this in the past, the job of the second banana in the commentary box in those days was to shut up. And if somebody got injured, you were allowed like three minutes. It wasn't anything like, uh, no, like no. it is these days, uh, which, which is sort of interesting for the kids. You know, I always like to pick out something for the kids. Well, Ma- just very quickly, Martin, on that. <laughs> Motti told us the reason why that was the case, uh, certainly in the very early days, maybe that had changed by 1990, was that you had one microphone. Uh, yeah. And so it was really the point where you wanted the, the, the sort of second banana, as you put it, to have something to say. So you physically passed them the mic. Um, right. Not like that now. Obviously, everybody's mic'd up and, and, and ready to go all the time. But yeah. that had a bearing on that, I think, because it was at the point where the commentator, he was in charge of it effectively. Anyway, just to, just to uh, tell you how football has ch- and footballers has changed uh, over the years. Uh, in this commentary, he said, uh, "Steve Capel, uh, Steve Coppel there, uh, he's got a degree in geography from the University of Liverpool, as though having a geography degree and you know being able." But that wasn't so bad because then he said, "Gary O'Reilly, he's well qualified as well. He's got two A levels." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought when it was remarkable in those days if a footballer had an A level. I'll just tell you about. 
Steve Koppel, he was uh, he was making notes, and that's why uh, Motti. You saw him making notes, and Motti was saying, "Well, you know, there's a footballer who can read and write." Yeah, um, he's making notes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a degree. He's he would have been prof, prof in the dressing room, as is often uh, was the case. He would if, indeed. If you had a Very much so. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Time then to uh, take a look at what's worth watching on the box over the weekend. And uh, Mike Ward joins us, as always, from the star. Good afternoon, Mike. Hi, guys. Uh, big night in last yes. night. Uh, I, I sort of dipped in and out a couple of times. Yeah. And, um, but you enjoyed it, Mike. I feel I, I need to issue a formal apology right. for being really, really negative and grumpy about this programme <laughs> yesterday. Because I stopped watching it. And, you know, sometimes you watch these things and you sort of smugly think, yeah, I was right, it's terrible. But I was watching it and I think, no, it just seemed... They seemed to get an awful lot of it right it wasn't perfect by any means and it was technically challenging for all the reasons we expected but i just thought they pitched it right i thought the mood was good i thought some of the in the, the strictly bit for example where they had people dancing in their in their living rooms and they stitched it all together so from you know from an editing point of view alone that was that was good i thought um steve coogan and, and rob bryden were great um yeah and i just thought the overall effect of it was 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 very upbeat and very positive and everybody came out of it you know well, excellent. Do you know how many people have you seen? How many people watched it yet, Mike? Was it was it huge? I haven't checked actually. I know they raised twenty seven million, which wow, uh, which is impressive. quite quite extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, I think the government are going to match that, um, which is which is tremendous. And you know, ultimately, that's ultimate, that's what it's all about. And um, but I think it just came across really well. And I think everybody you know emerged from it with in a very positive light. So that's great. Okay. Um, okay. Good. I, now I won't, I'll be I won't about disagree with you. Oh, no, you, I won't oh, disagree you... with you, even though I disagree with you. No, do go on, go on, go on. Am I being too nice? No, now? no. Well, I don't know. I only watched <laughs> the first hour, and personally, I, I it didn't do it for me. Really, I, it's great cause and wonderful everything and everything. Very worth. I mean, I do what you're expecting. I mean, it's quite hard to put funny. a show together in isolation, effectively, isn't it? Isn't yeah, incredible? I think that's no, a difficult thing to do. I get that, but. You know, on the whole, I said to Paul, on the whole, I prefer Captain Tom Moore walking around his god. But there you go. That's just <laughs> what me. point did you switch off? Was there a specific thing that thought that that'll do for me? Was, uh, was Davina's it dress, thing? really? I actually know it was dress. Oh, yeah, the banana <laughs> thing. It was weird. What was that? What was that all I, about? No, it was more after the clapping. I stayed till the clapping. It was seven till eight. We did the clapping, and I thought, oh, you know, I can't be bothered. It can't with be bothered this switch, switch Which, I, but we have recorded it, so I will run through and I'll have a look at the bits that you say are funny. Right. And I do. I'm a big fan <laughs> of Rob Brighton no. and Steve Coogan. No. Yeah, now Afterlife is back, isn't it? Series yes. two. It's on Netflix from today. We, we t- Andy's talked about it, uh, I think, uh, this week. Um, and uh, Ricky was on uh, with the Sports Bar Boys last night. So um, yeah, it's a it's a good a good second series, you say, Mike? I think yes? it's a great second series because it's so easy. The, the first series got such fantastic um, reviews and such sort of positive reaction. It would have been easy just to sort of go through the motions. And so often, particularly with things in that in the sort of the latest sort of loosely labelled comedy. It's very easy to just say, well, people like this bit and this bit, so let's just do more of the same. And obviously it was more of the same to a degree, but it felt as if because the character he, that he plays, uh, this this bereaved guy, Tony, is... Um, you know, is is a, is a sort of complex character because he's obviously deeply depressed, angry with the world, uh, you, you know, and he has a world weariness. But he's moving on, and you know, it, it reflects the fact that people do try and rebuild their lives in, in bereavement, and it's done it in a way that keeps the humour. But felt it felt like we were watching a proper story evolving. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I agree yeah, totally with you on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's available from today on uh, Netflix. It's interesting. It seems if you market a show right at the moment, because you would think this is a bad time 
in some ways to launch a new TV show. People are getting very nostalgic. They're watching lots of old stuff. Yeah. But if you look at the way that Quiz was marketed, um, the the about the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the the three parter mm. that got ten got more than ten million people watching it, which I would guess is more than it probably would have gotten mm. generally. Friday Night Dinner has been a real winner. I mean, Channel Four have marketed that very well yes. during lockdown. Mm. Uh, and their audience uh, was up 69% on was, the last series, really? which is huge, isn't it? it? Is, so, I mean, it's probably yeah. people are going to go back I to do, the I, first series as well. Go on, Again, though, I agree with Mike. Yeah, I thought your view on this was right. I'm, I'm a fan of the show, and I'm yeah. a big fan of Tom Rosenthal. But I thought the last series was just, you know, sometimes when it's just going on the turn. So I thought maybe make that the last series, because I, I did think it was kind of, it had a sameness about it. Yeah, it, 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 it does. Because it's a very limited sort of setup anyway, isn't it? It is the fri- the traditional family Friday night, Friday night, the two guys turn out, the next door neighbour does something weird, etc., etc. So it's it's very, very limited in what what it can do. And you sort of don't want it to expand beyond that. But by definition, that means mm. that you get to a point where it does get a little bit samey. But it's still an awful lot better than a, uh, a heck of a lot of other comedies. And, and the one with the, the, the bag, the shopping bag in the tree, that was very good, actually. Yeah, it was a yeah. very good episode. Tiny that details are always good in comedy. But it's interesting in terms of, like, you know, it's all, if they want to do another series, I don't know if they do. But if they do, then, you know, with an audience up like that. It's, but, but by the same token, Channel 4 we read today, of pulled a sitcom. They put one episode out and got virtually no audience. It got completely lost. <laughs> what it was, was called, that? It was called Max. It was about a um, shamed boy band <clears throat> star. And they're going to put it out again. But they just re- maybe they just realised that you know, it all comes down to the way these things are marketed. It's probably quite hard for a new sitcom to take hold at the yeah. moment or you know yeah. it's quite difficult and also the, content wise it can be tiny di- you can put something out innocently and then there's something in it you just sort of think oh no that 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 line or that little plot twist really jars in the current climate and all of a sudden yeah. everything else feels wrong mm-hmm. so so tonight the, 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 the oh sorry andy I was just going to say, the new one sitcom that has got slightly lost is the one with David Schwimmer, and it's about GCHQ, and it's really, really funny. I can't okay. remember the name. Should Is it Tez? What's the name of the guy who wrote, who wrote it? Actually, look, you, you can look it up while we, while we continue. It's on Sky One, and it, yeah, yeah. I, I saw the first couple of episodes in that, and I thought that was, that was great. Um, yeah, funny. To, uh, tonight, a lot of people are stargazing because the, the, the sky is so clear. They don't even need a telescope. But if you're going to have a telescope, you <laughs> might as well make it the Hubble telescope. It's yes. a pretty decent one. Decent lens. Decent. Um, yeah, a very, very good lens. I like a good, <laughs> like a good lens. And uh, there's Nick a program Mohammed, about it. Sorry. Nick Mohammed, that's the guy who's written it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, um, it's on tonight. Hubble, the wonders of space revealed. Happy birthday, dear Hubble. It is the 30th yeah. anniversary today of the launch of the Hubble. Tele- I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, hadn't, I didn't really know that there was a guy called Edwin Hubble. I, I, I'm probably I thought it was Glenn Hubble. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, I can't beat that. Actually. Let's yeah. move on. Um, you were dead here, really. <laughs> he's, the astro- he's the astronomer after whom this was named. But it's, it's, it's one of those documentaries where I watch it and because I, I, I'm not a very sciencey person, mm. I know that within the first five minutes or so, I'm not going to understand what people are talking about in any de- degree of complexity. But then, in, in a strange way, there's something quite nice about watching something where you're, you don't even begin to try to understand what people are on about. It's strangely soothing. It's a bit like some of the Brian Cox programs. You think, I don't really get what you're saying, but I mm. like the fact that you're so enthusiastic about it and you want us to sort of understand it. So, sort of bless you for that. But if nothing else, it makes it does great pictures. Some of the pictures that Hubble have taken, millions and millions over thirty years, just look unbelievable. They look like the world's most imaginative screensaver. 
Well, okay, I'll go check that out. <laughs> Mike's, Mike's reference was Barney Hubble from the Flintstones. Barney Hubble. Oh, yeah, Barney. <laughs> Barney. Uh, it could have been Barney Edwin, though. They went with the Hubble family. <laughs> yeah. And on Sunday... But, uh, uh, sorry, yeah. I was going to say, there's a new show. We're nearly out of time, but there's a new show on Andy, much loved by Andy in, in, uh, back in the 70s. Barry Foster played a Dutch detective called Van der Valk. Yes. And uh, it's back. It's uh, back, isn't with, it? Has it got not, the same theme tune? It, though? Uh, disappointingly, the theme tune is well, this, the th- unlike the original. Is not going to sit at the number one for four weeks. This theme tune is quite bland, but it's <laughs> oh, got a tiny that's little mad. I know, tiny little piano twinkle. If you recognise the original twinkle, mm. tinkle, whatever, whatever pianos do, um, it makes that noise. So you think, oh yes, a little bit of the old theme tune there, but not enough. It's okay. Uh, I'm, I love Mark Warren. I think he's he's brilliant. I'm, I'm not convinced so far that it does anything particularly special. But um, I'll stick with it for a while. Okay, and Chris Packham on Sunday, Primates. Uh, he's, uh, they're all in it. The Bearded Capuchins are yeah. in it. I've got their first album. Oh, I was going to say that line. I'm oh, I'm line. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Welcome to my world, Mike Ward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're in it. They're very just, clever. They make their own tools, apparently. Not they not... make their own tools. They make their bearded Capuchins. That's the song, I, just, I believe. I, oh, yeah. I also want to just say the great week they struggled. I thought the second week, I was saying to somebody, that somebody said to me, watch it the second week, I couldn't be bothered, but actually they did a really, really good job. They certainly adjusted from the first week to the second week, which, you know, they're very good producers, and you'd imagine that's what good producers do. They look mm. at what happened, and yeah. then they try and make it better, and they certainly did for the second episode. Mm. That was, sorry, Andy, you broke up. Was that Graham Norton you were talking about, or...? Graham Norton, yeah, yeah the Graham yeah, Norton okay, show. Yeah, I was just, saying, I was just saying, yes. From week I, one to week two. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said either. I just said, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I've no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. Right. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what we do on radio. <laughs> it could have been something you you violently disagreed with, Mike, and you just <laughs> went along with it. People, just people will say to you in years to come, I just, sat there and agreed with Andy Jacobs about that day he lost his job. <laughs> <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. As promised, a couple of extra clips, both from Fisherman's Blues. They didn't make the final clips. If you want to hear the clips, though, they did go out today. The podcast is available from wherever you got this one, the Clips of the Week podcast, as always. But, Andy, you're going to kick us off with your one. What was this? Can you remember? Well, this was Nigel. Yes, I can. This was Nigel introducing, excuse me, introducing his guest, Tom Scully. My first guest this morning is top match angler and angling journalist Tom Scully of Catch More Media. Surely Catch More Fish would be a better idea. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> I like it. Now I hand over to the producer because he <laughs> listens uh, to Fisherman's Blues and he's got his own little self-contained clip. I mean, you may recognise his voice from the excellent National Obsession podcast with Charlie Baker. It's Joan Cardigan. And Joan, take it away then. Give us your clip. Uh, this is Nigel uh, introducing a guest. Here's Rob now to give us an insight into what talks have been taking place and to tell us how you can and should help your local angling club survive this testing time. Morning, Rob. You there, Rob? Yeah, no, no, I'm here. Why don't you say anything then? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, our producer is very much like Andy of the kind of brutal school. Uh, of course Dear me. Okay, well, Two that's us. and all that. Indeed. Um, we will catch up with you on Monday. Stay safe. Enjoy the sunshine responsibly and uh, have a fine weekend. And uh, see you on Monday from one. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 